You're listening to the preaching ministry of First Baptist Church in Newton, North Carolina. By God's grace and for His glory, we're striving to be a community of disciples who are growing in trust, growing in love, and growing disciples. We pray you'll be encouraged to deeply love and trust our Savior Jesus Christ through this ministry. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Last week, as we studied Genesis 15, 1 through 22, we read over verses 12 through 16 very quickly. But I think that we would be helped to think through them more carefully. Last week, we saw God making incredible promises to Abram. But in the middle of those promises... Abram received some very difficult news to hear. Take a look with me at Genesis chapter 15 and verse 7. God is speaking to Abram. And he says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. Abram replies, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him, cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds. The birds of prey came down upon the carcasses and Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram and behold, terror And great darkness fell upon him. I'll just stop right here just to make one quick little note. And that is that we need to hear that that in this text, when God showed up, there was terror and great darkness that fell upon Abram. That, That sounds a little crazy to us who have been raised to believe that every song we sing in church ought to be a happy one. Have you ever read the Psalms? You notice how many of those are laments? There is terror and great darkness because Abram is getting ready to hear some really sad news. God said to Abram, verse 13, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. Where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve. And afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they will return here. For the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. Let's pray again. Father in heaven, I pray that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches and that your people would be helped and changed. That the world would be served by what you teach us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
This is an important text today, but every day because one of the, of the reasons that many people give for not entrusting their lives to God is the undeniable reality of human suffering. I can't trust in a God who would allow that kind of suffering to take place. Everybody in this room has dealt with or will deal with people they love dying. And if dying is not hard enough, if you could see, if we had to watch the way some people die, we'd all cry. It's terrible what suffering some people endure. Think about, think about mental illnesses that torment people. Think about physical suffering. I mean, let's go beyond physical suffering. Think about, think about children and the sexual abuse that they have endured or the emotional abuse that they have endured. We think about hunger. We think about poverty. The list goes on and on. But here's the thing. If you meet somebody who has any age on them whatsoever, you're meeting somebody who's carrying around scars that hurt. And for those of us who know the Bible and know what it says about God, the problem gets even more complicated. Because it would be one thing, right, if God didn't know. It would be one thing if God was unable to, to help, to prevent, to fix any of these things. But the Bible is crystal clear that God does know. He knows everything. Detail of everything that is happening, and he has the power to do anything that he chooses. Exodus chapter 4 God says to Moses, Who made man's mouth, or who makes him mute, or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Deuteronomy 32, see now that I, I am He, and there is no God besides me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded, and it is I who heal, and there is no one who can deliver from my hand. Psalm 115, but our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. Proverbs 16, the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. In other words, you may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. Matthew 10, 29, are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. He works all things after the counsel of his will. And maybe to summarize it. Revelation 1 verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega says the Lord God. Who is and who was and who is to come the Almighty. Now let me set the stage for your expectations. 
this text this morning does not get to the ultimate cause of every specific incident that you are going to face in your lives and detail God's reasoning for it. But, this text does give us good insight into how God purposefully uses human suffering for His glory and for the good of His people. I believe this text teaches us three things. First, I want you to notice in this text that God plans good ends through hard means. Secondly, I want you to see that God's plans are bigger than my or your immediate crisis. And then thirdly, I want you to see from this text that God will balance the scales. Notice first that God plans good ends through hard means. Growing up, I had lots of things to be thankful for. I had an incredible mother. I had a sister that has served me her whole life and even led me to Christ. I had incredible grandparents who invested in me in every way imaginable. I had a home that was dry and warm and we always had food to eat. But there were things in my life that were very difficult. There were stretches of time where, where my mama was, was at it by herself. There were, there were lots of times where she would gather her kids together and say, I don't know how I'm going to make the house payment this month. And so if you came to our backyard, we ran a junkyard, you would see two curly-haired kids with lots of grease on their shirt, stripping transmissions and sorting out junk in order to sell, because everybody had to pitch in in order to pay the bills. I look back on those times, and I, I, I can tell you that I, I didn't wear clothes that were in style until they were no longer in style. We did not have what other people had. But I can tell you this, I would not change it for the world. Because there's some things you can't buy. I got to stand beside my mama's bedside as she died. With absolutely nothing in between us. With nothing that needed to be said. You can't buy a relationship like that. It's forged. You cannot purchase character for your children, it's forged. And you cannot conjure up in yourself faith in God in a Genesis 3 world. It's forged. It's often forged in fire. Good things come out of hard things. 
Any successful athlete will tell you that. Ask anybody who's been through boot camp. Ask any mama who's given birth. So it should not surprise you that God uses hard things. He not only uses hard things, I'm going to be very careful to say that I'm not merely saying that God permits. I'm saying that God purposely, and, and, and you don't, shouldn't care what I think. I want you to see from the text that the Bible teaches that God designs hard things. For his people. Because. He loves his people. He cares about your relationships. He cares about your character. And he certainly cares about whether or not you trust him or not. In real life. When it's hard. This. Tough love, if you will, is seen clearly in this text. Look at verse 13. God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve. And afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they will return here. For the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. Notice what he says in verse 13. Know for certain. God is looking into the future 200 years before this slavery begins and another 400 years after that. And here's my question. Does he know what's going to happen? He knows what's going to happen. He knows it for certain. And how? I'm going to argue that it's because he planned it. Notice, God highlights three things he wants Abram to know. Look at verse 13. Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. I'm designing that. We know he's designing it because of what he says in verse 14. He says, but I will also judge the nation whom they will serve. And then finally, he says, I want you to know that afterward they will be delivered from slavery rich. Think about this. 400 years of slavery. So if if the end date was today, that would mean that slavery started in 1620. 400 years is a long time. And not just enslaved, but cruel slavery, hard slavery. If you go and read the book of Exodus, you see that at one point, the king who was over them was so concerned about them gaining political power that he oppressed them to the point of wanting all the male children to be drowned so that they couldn't rise to power. And is God saying, you know, I just, I just wanted to let you know this. I, I, I wish there was something I can do. I, Abram, this just kind of sprung up on me. God Almighty has 200 years to plan. 
If he wanted to fix it, I think he could probably come up with something. It's there by design. So the question immediately comes to mind, and the question is, well, why? Lord, why would you put your people that you love through all of this? And I want you to get this. The text doesn't tell us. That's humbling, isn't it? God doesn't give an explanation. The closest thing that I can find an explanation is in Exodus 12 and in Exodus 14 when he talks about all the plagues that he poured out on the Egyptians. And, and, and do you remember, over and over, it's like a refrain during that time. I'm pouring out these plagues so that the Egyptians might know my glory. But he doesn't tell I want you to notice that he doesn't stumble over his words either. God doesn't come to Abram. I had to give somebody some bad news yesterday on the telephone. I'm like, mm, I, I, I kind of hate to say, uh, I don't really know how to, God doesn't do that. <laughs> Abram, I don't really know how to break this to you. Um, and I just kind of, no, he, he just says it. It's very humbling that God doesn't owe us an apology. And he doesn't owe you an explanation. But he didn't leave us totally in the dark. When God's people went out of Egypt, they came poor on the verge of starvation. But look at verse 14. At the very end, they left wealthy. They came out of, they came to Egypt as a family of 70 people. But they left a rich nation of four million. But that's not all. Do you think they knew more of God's power? When he saw them, when he saw him deliver them by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with ten magnificent plagues? Do you think they do anything more of God's kindness and His provision in their life when they got water from a rock and manna from heaven? Do you think maybe they knew more of grace when God watched them build a golden calf and give the golden calf credit for rescuing them out of slavery and then He forgave them? I think so. They became the Lord's people. And when they came into that land, the fame of the Lord spread, beginning in Egypt to all of Israel's enemies. Here's God plans hard times for His people, but He has good plans. I think this is good for parents to hear. Honey, if that teacher doesn't like you, I'll just go right down there to the principal's office and get you switched out of that class. I can tell you what, that professor's going to get a piece of my mind about how hard that exam was. Honey, if that boy doesn't treat you right, you just come right on back home. 
Parenting like that will save us money on band-aids. It'll make our kids like us in the moment. But will it forge character? Will it teach them to rely upon God? They don't need God. They got mommy. This is this is serious. You look around at the generation we're raising. Do you know how many safety devices that that newborns now are being raised with? Can you imagine your grandparents being raised with that kind of level of safety device at every turn? And I get it. Trust me. (laughs) Trying to navigate this, I don't want my kids to get hurt. Trying to navigate this is no joke. But something is wrong when we have to set up rooms on college campuses with bubbles and puppies and teddy bears because somebody came on campus and said something that we don't agree with. And again, I'm not saying that. I don't want, I probably am saying it, but I don't, I don't want to be self-righteous and say, what a bunch of idiots. Because those kids in large part are that way, not just by their own choosing. And we ought to feel sorry. And we ought to realize that if I'd have been born into that home, it's very possible I would be doing the exact same thing with my bubble and teddy bear. This is a little bit of a side note, but during this time, just providentially, um, Oakley has been reading um, about the civil rights movement and, and uh, from Reconstruction on up, and, and, and he read about uh, Booker T. Washington up from slavery in his, in his autobiography. And one of the things he said is that Booker T. Washington said, you know who I feel sorry for? They're not just a slave, but it's a slave master. Because slavery made both of them into animals. We need to raise kids who face situations that are hard. And even unfair. Where they are knocked down. But trust the Lord enough to stand back up. We want to raise kids who say from the heart, and not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. Because even in the middle of this suffering that I'm going through, the love of God is being poured out within my heart through the Holy Spirit has been given to me. God is not a lawnmower parent who mows down everything hard in our lives. He allows and even plans difficult means because He loves His people and He's working a plan for us. God uses hard means to accomplish good ends. If there's any doubt in your mind about that, then I encourage you to think about the cross. 
Does God use hard things, terrible things, in order to bring about beautiful things? The cross of Jesus Christ says, yes, He does. The only one on earth who ever lived, who did not deserve to be tormented, was tormented. And that torment meant our salvation. The the worst possible thing that could ever happen. God's Son being beaten and mocked, humiliated, crucified by His own creation. He turned that into your salvation. Isn't it amazing? We are here today singing about the cross. This emblem of suffering and shame. But it is our glory. God uses hard things for good ends. Notice next that God's plans are bigger than my immediate crisis. Let me tell you some things that really happened one morning in one American city. One woman was late for work because her alarm clock didn't go off in time. One person was late because of a car wreck in front of him on the freeway. Another person missed his bus. One spilled food on her clothes and had to go back to change. Another person was late for work that morning because they didn't get to their car to start. One was simply unable to find a taxi. Another guy had just bought a new pair of shoes, was walking to work, got a blister on his feet, stopped at a drugstore to get a band-aid, was late for work. I am sure, in frustration, there were several dashboards beaten that day and great theological questions were asked like, God, why does these things happen to me? But the morning I'm talking about was September 11th, 2001. And those people are alive today because those frustrating things happened because they worked at the World Trade Center. This is a simple example. But it's just a good for us to be reminded that, that, that maybe God has plans that are bigger than the immediate crisis in front of us. And then on top of all that, often the details of what God is planning in our lives has very little to do with us. It's just good for us to be reminded that God is not merely orchestrating our lives. He's orchestrating the lives of seven other, seven billion more people. Not to mention the generations after that that are being affected by all of these things. God is orchestrating all this. Maybe these things are happening to us. Maybe they're hard for us, but they don't have anything to do with us. In other words, maybe God has more on his mind than just you. Look at verse 13. God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nations whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then, in the fourth generation, they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. God had a plan to rescue his people and to bring them in the promised land, but it was on a certain timetable. God was not ready to bring them into the promised land at that time. He was going to let the Amorite sin simmer for another 600 years until he was ready to judge the Amorites. 
Here's what it means. In our suffering, especially when God is silent, it's just tempting for us to start doubting Him and doubt His love and doubt our relationship with Him. God, don't you see? God, don't you care? Oh, maybe the problem is with me. Maybe I'm not praying enough because a preacher on TV said that if I, if, I, if I pray and I have faith that whatever I want is what exactly what I'm going to get and I'm praying, nothing's happening. But I want you to see this is at least one example of God not rescuing His people right away for a purpose that really has nothing to do with them. God's plan is bigger than this little part of the world that we can see right now. I don't know if I've told you this story or not, but I love this story. I just love that story. I love the story of Amy Carmichael. She's born in 1867 in Ireland. As a little girl, if you know her story, you know how much she hated her brown eyes. Her little brother had blue eyes. And she thought they were really pretty. And she wanted blue eyes. She was raised in a home that feared the Lord. And so she knew that Jesus said things like this. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And so one night in particular, she poured out her heart in faith to God, begging him for blue eyes. The next morning at the crack of dawn, she jumped out of her bed expectantly, went to the mirror, and what did she find that her all-powerful, gracious God had done for her? And here's the answer. He left her eyes brown. Years later, Amy Carmichael is called to be a missionary in India. While in India... She noticed it really wasn't her primary mission, but she noticed that there were lots of young girls who were being enslaved as temple prostitutes in the Hindu temples in order to make money for the priests. And Amy began to rescue these children out of these orphanages. And I don't mean by the tens, I mean by the hundreds. They all, you can go look up her story, it's incredible. They all called her Amma, which means mama, and that's what's over her gravestone now. But let me tell you how she did it. She disguised herself as an Indian woman, as a Hindu. She, she dyed her skin dark with coffee. And she got into those, orf- those, into those temples and rescued those children out of there. But here's, here's just a little news flash for us. You can't disguise yourself as an Indian woman with blue eyes. You've got to have brown eyes. God's plans are bigger than us. And God is often willing for His people to suffer to accomplish goals that have nothing to do directly with us. And as the Creator who gives us every breath, does He not have that right? Finally, notice with me that God will balance the scales. In our text, God's having a conversation with Abram. And he's explaining to Abram details about what's going to happen in the future. And he's basically explaining to Abram, listen, I've designed hard things for my people, but I have a good plan. You're not going to be able to see my plan, but life is not happening to you by accident. I am working a plan. What do you think God is seeking to build in Abram and in his children who will come after him? Abram, I want you 
to trust me. God's goal for his people is that we would trust him. Trust me through the hard things in full assurance of faith that my plans for you are good. Trust me in difficult times when you can't see, knowing that one day when you see the whole picture, you are going to agree that I've done all things well. Look at verse 13. God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterwards you will come out with many possessions. I will balance the scales. For 400 years you will be enslaved. Verse 13 says, You will be oppressed. The word is literally afflicted. You are, you are going to be making bricks while godless pagans stand over you with whips. And while you're there in that moment, which side would you rather be on? I wish we had time to read all of Psalm 73. I'll just read one little tiny piece. It's just very easy for us to envy the wicked because their life seems to go so much better than ours. But see if this doesn't sound familiar to the thoughts you're tempted to think. Be Behold, these are the wicked, and always at ease. They have increased in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence, for I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. Go home and read the rest of Psalm 73, and you will see that the scales of justice will be Balanced. He will judge the nation who enslaved them and afflicted them. And they are going to leave with that nation's plunder. Listen to the promise that God makes to believers in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. It is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire. So what are we supposed to do in the meantime? And here's the answer. Trust Him. I will, by God's grace, we'll get into this more. And I, I don't want to be misunderstood. I, 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 what do we need to do when we see injustice? We need to stand against it. But, but here's, we'll save that. But here is my point. That for, for Christians, we don't need to worry about revenge. We don't need to worry about getting people back. We don't need to worry about that because he's, he's promising to do all of those things. He's going to take care of that. This morning, my goal is simply to expound this text with everything going on. It'd be easy to misunderstand. I'm not, I'm not saying that we need to harden our hearts and just say, Oh, God willed your suffering and so I'm just not going to do anything about your suffering. No, the Bible is very clear. We need to weep with those who weep. The Bible is very clear. Genesis 18, verse 19. For I have chosen Abram so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abram what he has spoken about him. Isaiah chapter 1. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Listen to these action words. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. 
But today, in Genesis 15, when hard times come on this side of Genesis 3, they're going to come when they come, before we know what God is up to, when the pain is searing, when the disappointments are deep, when money is low, when the tests come back poverty, when the phone rings in the middle of the night, God wants us, even then, to trust Him from the heart. Is that hard? I'll tell you, it's not hard. It's impossible. Unless the Lord Jesus Christ is at work in our hearts, both to will and to work according to His good pleasure. We have a Savior. A Savior who walked through the path of pain long before He called us on to it. A Savior who Himself was, and I quote, smitten of God and afflicted. Oppressed. But on Sunday morning, after all the pain, and after all the humiliation, after all the misunderstanding, after being abandoned by God Himself, Jesus Christ walked out of a grave that He will never need again. And from personal experience, Jesus Christ can say, I put my trust in Him and I was not disappointed. Some good news. In your pain, Jesus Christ Himself can say to you, I know. In your pain, God can say, I know, child. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We simply can't trust God without Him. Our hearts are too weak and the pain is too deep. I think that's the whole point. I don't know the exact reason why child molesters are allowed to live. I don't know why human traffickers are allowed to breathe. I know this. I know that God was very patient with me when I delighted in things that were vile. And He sought me. And He bought me. I stand before you teaching the Bible with a conscience that is clear. I don't know the exact reason you contracted that terrible disease. I don't know why your child died so young. I don't know why your tire will go flat on Monday, make you late for work, or your electric bill will go up, why you're being laid off, why God hasn't healed you. I don't know why your eyes are brown. I know this. If you belong to Jesus Christ, He has a good plan for you. 
I, I know this. I know that his plan is bigger than your present crisis. I know this. I know that in the end, he will balance the scales. And I know this. The cross proves that he loves you. And I know he wants to take you to take all this to heart. And even in your pain, he wants you to trust him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful that you are sovereign. (laughs) That you work all things after the counsel of your will. God, I pray that would leave us with incredible hope regardless of how painful our life is. God, I pray in the midst of the world crumbling that your people would stand with joy. Even as our heart breaks for people who are hurting. Even as we cry because our pain hurts. God, I pray that we would be people of hope and faith and joy and deep love. God, I pray in the midst of a world that is dark that your people would shine like little points of love and hope and peace until you come and fix it. Father, I pray right now for anybody who is hearing these words who knows they're true, so tempted to be bitter with you, so tempted to say, I will not believe in a God who allowed this suffering in my life or in the life of the people that I love. I pray today, right now, they would fall on their knees, confess Jesus, The Savior with scars on His hands. As their Savior and Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the First Baptist Newton Podcast. If you want to learn more, check out our website at newtonfbc.org. We'll see you next time.